I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello, and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you all had a great holiday and you are enjoying the new year. So today I'm going to do an episode that's a Q&A. I haven't done a Q&A in a while, and I was going back and forth whether or not I wanted to do something about resolutions or something about um, a listener's questions, and I really settled on listener questions, and I think you'll understand why when I read to you some of these questions that came from one listener through email. And we can definitely do some resolutions and things like that. And just know that those are really great to make. Um, Not the kind of resolutions that you're going to fall off on in a couple of weeks, but the idea that one year is ending and another year is beginning and having a reset button press so you can restart, check out your goals, make a concrete plan to reach them. And what do we say on the podcast? How do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time. So make sure that you set goals that are just for maybe a 30-day period that are measurable and a stepping stone to a larger goal instead of going and rushing really deeply into a goal that's not sustainable. Okay. So that's what I'll say about that. So this email is from someone who is 22 and they are from the East Coast. I'm not going to give too much identifying information because I answered the email back to them and I just wanted to share the answers with you guys because I was thinking that many people in the beginning of the of their recovery journey would benefit from having these questions answered and from this, this Q&A, this message. So here it is. I've been struggling a lot lately with a lot of anxiety and PTSD, but as much therapy as I did, I just keep suffering. No matter what I did, I just couldn't manage to get to the bottom of it and understand what was going on. Finally, over the past few months, I simply watched myself fall apart piece by piece. It was too painful to see myself gain some weight, and I just felt too anxious to actually give my body any self-care. It was also painful to watch myself slowly drift far away from my dreams and my goals and end up in a reality where all I do all day is stay in my room and feel the urge to die. Finally, when things got so bad, I was diagnosed. Diagnosed with BPD. At first, I had no idea what that even meant, and I truly believe that my life had come to an end. I hated that because as much as I wanted to die currently, I used to enjoy life so much and I genuinely miss being alive. As I started reading and researching about BPD, I've been slowly understanding it and understanding myself a lot more. The dots finally connect and I'm able to explain myself to myself why I acted in specific ways throughout my life. I've actually been suicidal already since I was eight years old, my goodness. And even though I was extremely social and popular, I never connected to anyone on a real level because then I would get hurt. So I needed to protect myself, but then I was extremely lonely. In a few weeks from now, I will be starting treatment, but in the meantime, I'm trying to help myself as much as I can. That's amazing. I recently started listening to your podcast and I had a few questions. 
first of all, you said in one of your podcasts that you set off on your own journey to finding a cure because you couldn't afford any of the treatment centers. How did you actually have the energy to get out there and look for answers other than just to stay in your room and indulge in self-harm? Second, about the moral compass, I used to do that, but then my feelings were abused and neglected, and I simply wasn't living a life worth living. I followed my values in my moral compass up until the end of high school, so I was hardworking, got straight A's, focused on friends and hobbies. I played piano. I practiced an hour a day since I was seven. I ran every evening since I was 12. I volunteered. I was really successful. I was super caring and loving towards my siblings, but after high school, I couldn't keep following that moral compass because all of those years, my feelings were hidden. I would hide them because I knew they would get me in trouble, so I cried myself to sleep every night since I was 10 and my feelings were in pain. I was suffering. So my question is, I really do wish to start a life, a li- start living a life devoted to my moral compass once again, but how can I make sure my feelings are not being neglected? I'm not down for that amount of pain again. Another great great question. And then this listener goes on to say, I had another question about splitting. I was recently in a pretty long and very intense relationship. We lived together for eight months and then I finally broke it off. He was really toxic for me and definitely in the wrong way too many times. However, I'm now aware that I've definitely split against him several times. But I think that if every time I split, I'd always be true to my moral compass and not listen to my feelings. So maybe I wouldn't have noticed that I'm being abused. I'd convince myself to obey the rules of my moral compass and disregard my feelings. Disregarding your feelings is a painful process within itself, but my bigger concern is that I would end up missing the fact that I'm being hurt by someone else and just keep putting up with this terrible reality, as I did growing up. My parent was extremely abusive. I never did anything to protect myself or little brothers or sister because I was sisters because I was completely dazzled by my moral compass. So how can I make sure my moral compass actually helps me in a positive way instead of hurting me? Okay. Um, Also, how would you recommend to recreate my moral compass? I got anxious while trying to work on it and completely lost my train of thought. In addition, I struggle with extreme anxiety. Is this the BPD? or more related to PTSD or other things. Did you have anxiety too when you were struggling with BPD? And how would you recommend to treat the anxiety? Because the anxiety is definitely one of the reasons I avoid working on myself because as soon as I step outside of my tiny little nutshell, my anxiety takes over in such uncomfortable ways. My last question is, are the techniques you are teaching in your podcast considered to be DBT? Okay, so, and the last thing this listener says is, honestly, I feel like life is a game that I just don't know how to play. Hopefully I can soon learn the rules and start winning instead of constantly losing. That's a great way to put it. I used to feel the same way. So this is a really powerful message from a listener, a powerful email and Um, fortunately and unfortunately, both flip sides of the coin is that I have a ton of emails and a lot of listeners reaching out. I have people who want support and services, and we have just an overwhelmingly positive response to our services, which is great. Also means though, that sometimes it takes me a long time 
to reply to people. And we are definitely working on that. Actually, we have some really exciting things coming up here. Season three of the podcast ends in March and season four is going to be pretty phenomenal. Jay and I have been working on creating a community so that there's more access to what we're offering and so that we're able to offer more than just one avenue of service or support, meaning, you know, we want to offer mind, body, and spirit, just like our website talks about, you know, help and and all of those domains. And for you to really start seeing how we live and how I do things and what recovery looks like, and that's coming. So 2023 is going to be a very exciting year. And that's something we talking about resolutions have resolved to do. So I got this message and this email and I started replying to it and I thought, gosh, there are so many people that would benefit from hearing the questions answered or, you know, what I replied back. So here goes nothing, as they say, right? So I'm going to read the questions again and then I'm my reply. First of all, you said in one of your podcasts that you set off on your own journey to finding a cure because you couldn't afford any of the treatment centers. How did you actually have the energy to get out there and look for answers other than just stay in your room and indulge in self-harm? Okay. Recovery does not have a linear trajectory, meaning that I did at times spend time in my room engaging in isolative or self-harm behaviors or even eating disorder behaviors. The diagnosis, or I suppose more accurately, the realization of the diagnosis was both freeing and limiting all at the same time. I felt free of the burden of not knowing what on earth separated me from everyone else. And I also felt limited, because for a short while I allowed the diagnosis to confirm the self-hatred. I was a failure, right? I was useless and didn't deserve love or to live a good life. At least, that is what it had meant to me at the time for a short while. And I really did oscillate in and out of that until I couldn't take it anymore and I had to make a choice. This was even before I realized that the only thing that really makes a human being free is their ability to choose to make choices. I just had listened to some clinicians and remember I had been in clinical practice at the time studying and working and I had just been listening to some clinicians really tear someone with BPD up with their words like things saying things like yeah she'll always be that way kind of talk and it hurt me deeply to hear that it really did. And I wanted to fight for those clients, but I had no idea how. I related so much, so I would get silently frustrated in the meeting, really frustrated. And that was just one of the defining moments I had when the injustice of it all drove me to action and not to self-sabotage or implosion. There were many moments like this in my journey, though, like many little defining moments that, you know, would let me see, oh, I can grab, I can reach out to recovery, I can grab that. And you'll hear me talk of different ones throughout the podcast. The Jordan Peterson video I bring up a lot where he says that people with BPD maybe can't get better. This is what I had heard at the time, at least. And and that was also very painful and very motivating. I've always been tenacious, but I would not have been able to identify myself as such back then. I would have never said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm tenacious. Now... 
I will say that this passion and intensity led me to try to prove him wrong. I also knew this was a blessing and part of my clinical knowledge that I would be alone forever, cutting myself and hurting my body as a single mom, and that was not what I wanted for myself or my son. Finding my now husband and not wanting to hurt him the way I hurt people in an effort to stop my own hurt was also a huge motivator. He showed me what unconditional love is. He tries hard to practice it, and I have come to prefer this love over conditional love, which I find truly isn't love at all. The bottom line is that you do not deserve to stay in your room and hate yourself and hurt yourself. That is so messed up that we would think that of ourselves, isn't it? We were little kids when this all started. And I don't know about you, but I don't see any pure little kid deserving of the kind of self-hatred we are deserving of, or we believe we are deserving of. The road to recovery will be hard, constantly climbing and slipping and climbing and slipping, and every climb will feel more exhilarating than the last, and every slip will feel worse than the last. But when you finally reach the pinnacle, you will realize that the secret to life is to live, and that living requires you to understand that we all have choices and that we can look at ourselves and others with love, compassion, humility, and a good dose of accountability, and that when we make a mistake, we can try again. We don't have to kill ourselves or hurt ourselves. You will also realize, hopefully, that God created you for a purpose in this life, and that purpose is good and filled with love and light. You have to be willing to choose paths that allow you to find it. Okay? Second question about moral compass. I used to do that, but then my feelings were abused and neglected. So my question is, I really do wish to start living a life devoted to my moral compass once again, but how can I make sure my feelings are not being neglected? I'm not down for that amount of pain again. Okay, well, here's the thing. I believe that children are pure, clean slates. I also believe that all children are born with the knowledge of right and wrong, the beginnings of a moral compass. Remember that our Moral compasses then begin to develop and be shaped by the environment we we grow up in, our life experiences, and the behavior of adults and other significant people in our lives, as well as many other factors. And it sounds to me like before the trauma occurred, whatever happened to you that made you realize that your feelings would not be heard. Adults cannot be trusted, and you are alone and must take care of yourself and hold everything in. Something like that, that's my theory. You were a pure child. After the trauma, you were surviving, doing what you thought you needed to do out of fear. The shift that occurred and the feelings that were avoided and held inside were not acknowledged, so you were following a self-made survival map and not a moral compass linked to a genuine love of self or others. That was never modeled to you. I would imagine you have also witnessed adults become emotional and stop acting in a way that is good and right. All of this being said, you can go back to the purity you had at age seven and before and follow that moral compass, but you will need to understand emotions a bit more to become more emotionally rich rather than impoverished, as in that richness you will see that you have control over yourself and that even when you are upset or scared or angry, you can still be convicted in your values, you can be angry and love someone at the same time. 
Many people have a difficult time with this because they were never shown this kind of love. The moral compass I speak of creating on the podcast is pure. And based on your own choices, you can make sure your feelings are not being neglected by learning to become emotionally rich and learning how to express yourself and your values in a way that honors your true self and those around you. Okay, question three. I had another question about splitting. I was recently in a pretty long and very intense relationship. We lived together for eight months, and then I finally broke it off. He was really toxic for me and definitely in the wrong too many times. However, I'm now aware that I've definitely split against him several times. But I think that if every time I split, I'd always be true to my moral compass and not listen to my feelings, so maybe I wouldn't have noticed that I'm being abused. I'd convince myself to obey the rules of my moral compass and disregard my feelings. Disregarding my feelings is a disregarding your feelings is a painful process within itself, but my bigger concern is that I would end up missing the fact that I'm being hurt by someone else and just keep putting up with this terrible reality. As I did growing up, my parent was extremely abusive. I never did anything about it to protect my siblings because I was completely dazzled by my moral compass, which that's an, okay. So how can I make sure my moral compass actually helps me in positive ways instead of hurting me? This is a great question, and I was a little perplexed by it at first because it's been a while since I've tackled this question, honestly. And, you know, I had to really do some digging and searching to answer this because I thought to myself, man, no way. Like when you're splitting, you are definitely not being true to moral compass. But I thought, yeah, but morality looks weak to people, right? So it makes sense to me that you would think that having an intense emotion, especially at the beginning of a journey, would give you a true emotional narrative. And then that emotional narrative mm -hmm. would then be the way that you're following your moral compass. But morality isn't based in emotion. It's there no matter what. It's a constant, right? So this is something that you'll have to explore more on your journey. And honestly, you can feel free to schedule with me at any time, this listener and any other listener, as I don't know whether my answer in you know, whatever current stage of recovery you are in will make sense and it will come to you in time. But look, if you're splitting, then you have an intense emotion and your ability to see your loved one for who they are in the broader context of their life switches off like that. And an emotional narrative that is the illusion of truth then takes over. That is likely what your parent did to you and your siblings. They switched off the ability to see you guys as pure children and switched on rage or splitting. There is no morality in the split, guys. That's an illusion of truth. The stories and impulsive thoughts that occur when splitting are not reality, in other words. They are the illusion of truth based on past traumas, fears, and intense emotions. Our feelings are valid, but those stories are not. You have to ask yourself whether or not the truth matters or whether the illusion of truth matters more. A few episodes ago, I did an, an entire episode based on truth, where it comes from, what is, um, what is truth, right? Go check that out. But that is a choice that many people have to make. Saying that you were true to a moral compass when you were splitting means that your idea of a moral compass has been distorted over the years and that you connect being abused and then waking up and going through the emotions of life anyway with morality. But these two things 
do not coincide. If I am being abused, or let me say when I was being abused by my son's father, I had no real moral compass. I thought I was doing the right thing for the right reasons, but I was following a survival code, not a moral code. I didn't know what the truth was or what the illusion of truth was, and I didn't care what was right when I was splitting. Morality skips the split. So that's a longer conversation. And anytime any of you want to have that, please schedule with me. And we can go from there. It's also something that is harder to understand at the beginning of your journey. Period. Next question. Also, how would you recommend to recreate my moral compass? I got anxious while trying to work on it and completely lost the train of thought. Well, I mean, of course you did. It is very anxious to think that you're going to be moral and then be respected. Recreating your moral compass without anxiety and fear of being abused would first take knowledge of emotions and some trauma-informed care. In the case of this listener, and in your case, if you're a listener out there that can relate to these questions, I say this because I have a feeling that you may perceive morality as weakness. That's my theory. This is a theory, of course, as I have limited information. I'm just going based off of one email. So keep that in mind, everybody, when I'm answering these questions. Though, given what this listener said in their previous questions, it seems like they may have a narrative that being dazzled by their moral compass meant that abuse ran rampant. Now, I want to be clear on something here. Morality does not equal weakness. Until you can understand that people with strong moral convictions are strong people and perhaps even meet someone like this, you may need to hold off on creating this moral compass and do some research. Dig. There's plenty of YouTube videos, vlogs, plenty of information out there on the Internet of people who have you know, strong convictions in, in their values and morality and who are strong role models. People who love unconditionally are not doormats who allow other people to hurt them. I know this because I strive imperfectly, of course, to love other people unconditionally, and I don't get walked on. I mean, maybe people think they're walking on me, but I don't feel that. <laughs> and if there are people that want to hurt me, they often cannot because I know who I am, what I've done well, what I've not done well, and what the right thing to do is. I know when I mess up. I know when I go off the rails a little bit and I need to reel myself back in. I would never allow anyone to abuse me or to violate my boundaries. And it is within the structure of my moral compass that that kind of power exists. Let's take spirituality for a minute I used to think that the Bible was a book of weakness. I used to think that Jesus in the Bible, he says, turn the other cheek when someone hits you. I would think that that was ridiculous. Like, are you kidding me? So you hit me and I'm just going to stand there and take it. But that's not, that wasn't the point of that at all. And it took me a very long time to understand that. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that saying, turn the other cheek, but I will say that most people I talk to think that Christians are weak or people that believe in God are weak and can be taken advantage of. But unconditional love comes from the Bible, and it is not weak. Actually, the turn the other cheek, what that means to me is that, you know, if you are going to, let's take a simple example, right? I've had 
someone who didn't like what I was saying and, you know, didn't like the way that I gave them the truth. The truth is at the beginning of all progress and it can be hard to hear. And one time I had someone who didn't like it and then they tried to, you know, attempted to, to kind of go and destroy me, whatever that means, right? So some Reddit things, some you know, negative reviews, other things. It doesn't, it's irrelevant, but definitely attempted to do that, right? And so I look at that as someone hitting me, right? And so my version of turning the other cheek, what that really means is that I said, okay, go for it. Like you can keep doing that. You can keep hurting me, but I'm still going to be who I am. I'm still staying the course and I'm still going to to be convicted in, in my morality. And so what you're doing doesn't actually hurt me. You think it's hurting me, but it doesn't. So that's an example of that. And like I said, you know, morality, moral compass, um, the unconditional love, biblical love, believing in a God, all of those things, they come in time. I would never have been able to grasp that at the beginning of my journey. So for now, what I want you to understand is that morality is not designed to be weak. It's actually quite the opposite. People who are morally sound are the strongest people I've ever met. And you have to go on that journey to find it. And remember that for me in this podcast, the lens through which I see the world is through the lens of unconditional love. And that does come from the Bible. That's where I got that concept. I did not come up with that concept. And I learned that I can love someone unconditionally and not allow them to hurt me at the same time. I'm going to say that again. I can love someone unconditionally and not allow them to continue to hurt me at the same time. All of the things I am saying to you, again, require foundational skills to be learned because this may only make sense in time. So I'm going to move on to the next question. We have two more. In addition, I struggle with extreme amount of anxiety. Is this the BPD or more related to the PTSD or other things? Did you have anxiety too when you were struggling with BPD? And how would you recommend to treat the anxiety? Because the anxiety is definitely one of the reasons I avoid working on myself. Because as soon as I step outside of my tiny little nutshell, my anxiety takes over me in such uncomfortable ways. Okay. Well, as I said in an earlier answer, of course you're anxious. You decided based on the actions of adults in your life that adults cannot be trusted and that you had to exist only in survival mode at a very young age. When this happens to a young child, the only thing they have left is fear and anxiety. And out of this fear and anxiety comes the need for control to ease that fear. I had a ton of anxiety when I struggled with BPD because I was terrified literally of everything. But I walked around pretending I wasn't. It was rough and chaotic. I was scared people would die and leave me. I remember in high school, my I was at a marching band competition, and that's when that started. My parents dropped me off, and like I remember starting to obsess that they would die and they would never come back. And I just I had thought to myself, what are you what are you thinking? Like what's going on? Because I didn't really have depression or anxiety in that very moment when those intrusive thoughts began. So I was, you know, had the wherewithal to know that it was weird. But it's it started then and it didn't stop after that. I would 
you know, also like look up at the sky and the stars. And I would just get terrified though. Like we were these small beings and I had like existential crises, you know, at ages seven or eight, really stuff like that. Things that like just scared, you know, very scared, scared of living. I was scared people would die and leave me, as I was saying. I was scared people would hurt me. And I could go on and on and on about the things I was scared, I was scared about. The thing that I thought was going to help me was that I would try to control the world around me to ease that fear. That was my survival map, not my moral code. Like if I cut myself or restricted my food, that that would somehow help ease my anxiety. And I had other obsessions too at the time that were an, an attempt to avoid that kind of anxiety. That is where my personal moral compass development came in, though now I definitely don't have those same kind of fears. Now I know who I am, what I want, and how I will treat others, and I have found strength in that. That understanding will come to you in time. I'm not scared of everything. I'm not scared of living. I'm not scared of dying. I'm not scared of right? The things that I would never have even wanted to talk about before. You could not talk about death with me before. I would have had a very difficult time with that. But no, I just want you to know, again, that you can control your life by controlling your choices. That's the thing to focus on in the beginning of recovery, because some of the realizations I've come to, I know, are not relatable. And that's okay. I just want to give you hope. Know, again, that you can control your life by controlling your choices not allowing your feelings or other people's choices to control you. And that's where I want you to start. My last question. Are the techniques you are teaching in your podcast considered to be DBT? No. Nope, they are not. I do have some episodes that overlap, that talk about DPD, DBT and concepts in DBT. Because some of the concepts are broad, like the idea of the tip skill, which is the change your physical state with temperature to decrease your emotional intensity. Those are things that have been studied, you know, even prior to DBT and it was pulled into the treatment, which was really brilliant. Um, but that is just kind of an overlap. The morality, the moral compass, uh, unconditional love, forgiveness, the way that I've learned recovery. I take those things honestly from the Bible. I've, I've said that all along, and I just want to be completely transparent in that. Um, that is where I get my, you know, my work from. And so that's, that's honest. And my podcast, you know, is not a substitute for DBT. It's not DBT based. It's based on my experiences. It's based on my desire to coach others and help others in a relatable way, as there is absolutely hope in recovery. So remember, you know, in your journey of recovery, I want you all to remember that there is hope. It is archaic to believe that you cannot recover from a personality disorder, specifically borderline personality disorder. That is old news. If you have a provider that still believes that or treats you that way or is in the illness model and you're ready to break free of that, choose to break free of that. Choose it. You can do it. You can do it. Is it as easy as just making a choice? Well, yes and no. Yes, it is easy for you to wake up and say, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm not going to do it anymore. But is that just going to cure your problems? No, it requires one choice after the next choice after the next choice. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. 
Jay and I are here. We would love to help you. We would love to work with you. The best way at this point in time to work with me in particular is to go onto the website and just book. When you book, you'll receive an email with a link either to our electronic healthcare platform or to a video call, depending on where you where in the world you are. Know that this is coaching that we are offering right now, coaching, and we are here for you. You can also send us an email. If you want to send me an email, it's rose at skeeterstrength.com, or you can send an email to jjayj at skeeterstrength.com. Dot com. You can send us a text, 844-9THRIVE. That's 844-984-7483. And we will see you again next week for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Okay, thanks for listening. That was From Borderline the Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeeterstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So, if you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD. 